0: Good morning. If you've not met me, my name is Brian Simmons. It is not Donald. And I am blessed to uh, be the preaching minister here at the Oak Crest Church of Christ. And I have not uh, gotten to know many of you, if not most of you, and so I'm taking a bit of a risk this morning in showing you this on the slide. This is the area behind my refrigerator. Here's the deal, Um, I'm sure your home is pristine clean. I'm sure that if I looked beneath your refrigerator, it would not look like that. It's a little hard to see, I know. But for several weeks, I would walk to my kitchen and I would look at my refrigerator. And Right next to the counter is a gap between the refrigerator and the counter. And I looked down and there was all sorts of dirt and dust and dead Kleenex and um, other things that I can't describe. And I would look at that, and I would think, somebody needs to clean that. And then I would go about my business. And for several weeks, for several years, this was the case. Until finally, last Saturday, I said to myself, Brian, it's time. And so I used my muscles to pull the refrigerator out, and that is what I saw. And then I took a broom, and I swept. And then I took a mop, and I mopped. And then I got down on my hands and knees, and I scrubbed. And then I prayed. And then I scrubbed some more. And I'm happy to report that the underneath of my refrigerator is clean. It's so clean. Thank you. You are so kind. I'm not coming to your house. I don't hire myself out. Okay. But I can speak very favorably for doing this. And if you're like me, your refrigerator, or at least the area beneath it, probably looks like that. The reality is that I said to myself about a week ago, the time has come. And isn't that the way it is? In our life, oftentimes, we get to a point where we think to ourselves, the time has come. Come. Maybe it's your garage, maybe it's cleaning out your car, maybe it's beneath your refrigerator. But for many of us, we might put it off or we might explain it away to the point where we simply say, the time has come. Now that phrase fascinates me, because that's the very first phrase that Mark's gospel records Jesus actually saying. In fact, if you look at the gospel of Mark and Matthew, And John and Luke, they all have different first words out of Jesus' mouth. And in Mark's gospel, here it is. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. Now, I want to stop for a moment, and I want to unpack this, because this is such a simple set of verses. In fact, if you're not careful, you just miss what's going on here. But what I wanna show you is that once you kind of dig into this text, there's some things that I think God wants us to hear from this familiar piece of text. And to do that, I need to explain some things. So one of the phrases that this particular text starts with is the phrase, proclaiming the good news of God. Now when you hear that, you probably think like this. You probably think that Jesus had put up something and stood on it and said, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent, Tyus. (laughs) Believe the good news. And frankly, you probably think that because you might have seen street preachers in our contemporary society do that kind of a thing. But that's not how it worked. When the text says that he was proclaiming the good news of God, he probably wasn't standing on some kind of a soapbox like this. In fact, the way it worked back then is, for someone like Jesus, who was raised in the Jewish faith, he probably went into the synagogue. In fact, later in other gospel accounts, that's what he does. But in addition to that, it was common for him, probably, like many other people did, to sit at the gates of the city, or to sit in the marketplace and to talk to people as they walked by. So you walk by and you say, hey, how you doing? And then you tell me how you're doing, and we start to have a conversation. And so when this text says that Jesus went through Galilee proclaiming the good news, you have to understand how he did that, because how he did that is really important, I think, for what we need to hear from this text in our life today. So he's proclaiming the good news by sitting at the city gate or by sitting down at the marketplace, much like he does in John's gospel in chapter four, when he talks with the woman by the well. But then ask yourself another question as you think about this particular text. He says, the time has come, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now ask yourself this question. How did Jesus say that? You see, if you consider Jesus on the soapbox, you might think that he said it with anger, as I said it to you a moment ago. Time has come, Tyus Aloysius McKay, whatever your middle name is. (laughs) But, you know, we don't have the luxury of hearing the tone of voice when we simply read the words. When you read that text, as you see it on the slide, how do you hear that in your mind? Do you think Jesus has the angry voice? Does he sound like an Old Testament prophet? Repent ye. Is he frustrated? The time has come. Repent and believe the good news. Do you think that he's just sad? Time has come, ties. How do you think he said that? Well, knowing what we know about how he proclaimed this, and, and knowing, I think, what Jesus is really trying to say, I think he said it kindly. I think he said it like this. I think he said, the time's come. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Believe the good news. I think that's how he said it. Because I think that better fits what we know about the culture of the time and how people taught. And I think that better fits what Jesus really wants us to hear today. Because ask yourself, who is Jesus actually talking to? If you hear Jesus standing on the soapbox like this, pointing at people, I'm watching you, then you hear it with a tone of voice that's angry and you think, whoa, he's talking to a bunch of people that are big sinners. But we know from history, and we know from some other sections of this very first chapter of Mark, that these were probably basically good people. In fact, they were like us. They believed in God. Most of them were probably trying to live their life the best that they could. We know uh, from history at the period in which this occurred, most Jewish individuals were regular synagogue attenders. They they were what we would call church-going folk. They were a lot like us. And so I think when Jesus says this, he's not calling people out as if to say, You are big sinners. I think he realizes that they had just experienced what I call spiritual sloppiness. So spiritual sloppiness is kind of a, I I made it up, it's a Brian, I call it a Brianism. (laughs) I make up these terms sometimes with my students to try and describe things to help them understand it better. Spiritual sloppiness is this idea that says you're basically doing the best you can and it's pretty much working, but you just don't always take care of business. You know what I mean? So for example, um, a, a, a while back uh, my wife said, Brian, it's time to paint the wooden swing in our backyard. So we have this wooden swing, you know, it's, it's about this wide, it's got slats in the back and slats on the bottom and you center it and, and you swing. That's why they call it a swing. So it's old, and it, you know, about every summer I have to repaint it. And she said, time to repaint the swing, Brian. So I said, great, let's go. So I got the paint out, and I've got the paintbrush you know, by hand, and I'm so careful, and I'm painting each slat, making sure the paint doesn't run and doesn't drip and doesn't get too much on it or too little on it. And that lasted about 15 minutes. And then after a while, I got the big, wide paintbrush. And I'm slathering that paint on there, just slapping it on there. And I stepped back and I thought, that is a beautiful swing. Now, if you were to come to my house and look at that swing, you would say, that is not a beautiful swing. I got sloppy. Can we be honest with each other? I mean, I don't know you really well, so I've taken a bit of a risk here, but can we be honest? It's really easy to get spiritually sloppy. You know what I mean? I'm going to read my Bible every day. And then it kind of doesn't happen every day. And you think, I'm going to do better with that whole patience thing. Only it doesn't always work out that way. And, and it's not that you don't want to. It's not that you can't. It's just that you kind of get sloppy. And I think that the people Jesus spoke to, the very first words out of his mouth, time has come. Time's come. Kind of gotten spiritually sloppy. Kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I think that's how he said it. And I think that's how he wants us to hear it today. Because I think that it's true that all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I think it's also true to say that a lot of us have just gotten spiritually sloppy. And that leads me to the second thing that I think Jesus is trying to get at when he said these words in Mark chapter 1. I think not only had the people gotten spiritually sloppy, I think Jesus is able to look into people's eyes and say what he said because they knew in their heart of hearts that the time has come. I call this Brian's heart of hearts theory. I do this with my students all the time. In fact, I did it last week. Last week, one of my students came into my office and hands me this paper. And I said, oh, thank you for turning that in. You realize it was due a week ago. Yep, Brian, I know. Tell me about why it's late. Well, I really, it's the end of the semester, and I I was really busy, and and I had this computer programming class that was a lot of work, and it was just, I, 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 and I, I said, look me in the eye. And so he looks me in the eye. And I say, why is this late? And he said, I put it off. I'm the biggest, I'm so sorry, Brian. (laughs) You see, he knew in his heart of hearts what the actual reason was. And I believe that when Jesus said these words, he was talking to people and he was saying, in your heart of hearts, you know you can do better. In your heart of hearts, you know what you can do. The time has come. And you know in your heart of hearts what you need to do. And just with my student, and with so many other people I've met along the way in life, I think that most people, they they know what they need to do. And so in Mark chapter 1, the very first words out of Jesus' mouth, I think, are not accusing words, They're not words where he's yelling at people like, you guys are all big sinners, I can't believe I'm even here. I think he very kindly says, look, you know what you need to do. And so this morning, I think these words ring in our ears, and I think Jesus wants you to hear him say, in your heart of hearts, you know what you can do better. I think you know what you need to do to be a better spouse. I think you know what you need to do to to be a better Christian. I think you know what you need to do to be a better fill-in-the-blank. And I think he's simply saying, the time has come. The time has come. Last week, in this very building, those of us that were here, we committed ourselves to congregational renewal, renewing what the Oakcrest Church family And today, I believe it's an opportunity for us to personally renew, because congregational renewal won't be successful unless we do personal renewal and unless you can walk on water and raise the dead and give sight to the blind i think all of us in our heart of hearts know what we need to do to be better you see jesus wasn't just saying to people hey i'm here i'm announcing my ministry he's also saying you can do better and so he says the kingdom of god has come near and that's happening here at oak crest it's coming near in the sewing room Whichever direction it happens to be, I'm still kind of new here, okay? <laughs> the kingdom of God is near in all of the ministries that are talked about in this bulletin over here. The children's class, the ladies' class, the men's Bible study, the wow. It, it's going to happen at the Dodgers baseball game. It's going to happen with everything that's talked about in here. Because God is moving among the people that worship here. People are being blessed The kingdom of God has come near, not just in terms of the renewal of this church family. The kingdom of God has come near because if you're honest with yourself, in your heart of hearts, you know God has been working in your life. Hasn't he? And so because the kingdom of God is so near, because this place is so poised for renewal, so poised to do great things in God's kingdom, the time has come for personal renewal. And although I don't know all of your stories, I don't know what keeps you awake at night, I don't know what it is that you, when you look in the mirror, honestly would say, I need to do better. I suspect that all of us have something that we can do better. And so in that vein, the very last thing Jesus says is repent and believe the good news. Now, I get it. When you hear that word repent, that's one reason why you picture Jesus on a soapbox with his arm pointed out saying, you should repent. Fair enough. I get it. But the funny thing about that is that in the original Greek language in which this particular uh, document was written, the Greek word that is actually translated into our English language as repent is kind of an interesting word. We tend to think that that word means knock it off stop it you know it's like the wife that says to her husband would you repent and put your dirty clothes in the hamper and not on the floor you know it's like me as a teacher saying hey get the earbuds out of your ear repent and don't text in my class and fair enough the word can mean that but on the next slide you'll see what that greek word actually is it's metanoia can you can you try that one on can you say that with me metanoia one more time metanoia you can use that word in conversation you'll sound really smart or like a really big nerd one of the two that word metanoia is a greek word that actually means to change your mind it's not just a word that means you stop an action it's not just a word that means hey you were doing this now you're doing that It's a word that means you change your mind. I don't want my students to take the earbuds out of the ear or to stop texting during my class just because I said not to do that. I want them to respect me enough that they never put the earbuds in the ear. So when Jesus says, look, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. What he's really saying is, you can change your mind, you can change what you're about. Instead of being so critical and so negative, you, you can be more optimistic. You know, you know. Instead of in, instead of being someone that that kind of thinks you're better than everybody else and kind of looks down on people, you can have a different attitude that says, "I'm going to give them a break." Look, you and I both know that you know it's easy to tell us little itty bitty lies, and you know you're better than that. That's what Jesus is doing, is not just saying, hey, stop the lying, hey, stop the negativity, hey, etc. He's trying to call us to something so much bigger. It's a bit like, uh, what's that guy's name? Oh, yeah, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's Christmas in May. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol? Bah, humbug, yeah, bah, humbug. He needs a change of attitude. And he encounters the ghost of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future. And he wakes up on Christmas morning. And not only does he change his ways, he metanoias, changes his mind. So Jesus is not just trying to get a bunch of people to knock it off. He's trying to get a bunch of people to change who they are. He says, you can do better. He says Quite frankly, the time has come. And so that's what I say to you this morning. My very first sermon is the full-fledged, official, bonafide, you know, shepherd-approved preaching minister. The time has come. And I say that not in an accusatory voice. I say that as someone who, like you, can point to things in my life where I say, yeah, time has come I can be better and I can think of no better way for you to put Jesus's words into action than to be a vibrant renewed part of this church family so the time has come and the time has come in this service as a church family to renew our remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us The time has come for us as his people gathered together on the Lord's day to share communion together and to not only remember that sacrifice, but to renew each Lord's day what that sacrifice means in our lives. And so we'll share that together and continue our worship.